I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm hello, Gary hello, hello, Bain hello. and once more I'm hello, hello, joined hello. by Peter Hart. Probably a good job because otherwise it'd be very short, very boring podcast. And today, Pete, what are we doing? Well, we're doing the South of Cesars again in peacetime and it's back to the guns. They do, they, one minute, they're on 25 pounders with sort of wheels, and then in 25 pounders, well, they've all got wheels, sort of bangy things, and then they're on OP parties, and they're, now they're back to the guns. Uh, but there's been a change. What would you say the change was in the early 1990s? Well, um, for the first time, the dominant voice setting the tone for the activ- activities of the South Nazis was not their own battery commander, but that of Colonel Roger Stiles commanding the newly constituted 100 Regiment with their headquarters at Grove Park in the Woolwich area of London. Now, we did this in, in a previous podcast. Yeah, the 100 was, Regiment has been formed and the South Doctors are kicked they out. They were lucky, weren't they? They were. They, well, in for power and influence. They kicked out, I think it was the Brighton... Uh, uh, Suffolk, but, wasn't it? Uh, I can't remember. I thought we'll have to was, listen to the podcast. Thought, yeah, we could do mega... We don't anymore, do we? <laughs> the Sussex lot, I thought it was. But anyway, whoever it was, they kicked out a long-standing battery and they replaced them. Uh, now, uh, who's in command? Uh, can you remember who's in command of 307? It's 307 battery, the South Nottes. Well, it's it's Major Ian Cunningham. Uh, and, uh, and with him, it was a, a rather moot point as to whether he welcomed the changes or not. His battery had survived the cull. But in the process, they'd lost their much-prized independence. Now, he's a live-wire character. I remember Ian Cunningham well. I still occasionally see him at South Nazar's dues. And he's a live-wire. He really is. Um, but And he comes across as, you know, if you just look at him on the surface, a fairly irresponsible individual. Drink, fun, women, wine, women, and so on. But there's there's a, a touch of steel behind him. And his prior, he's got priorities. And what is his priority? And is it is it to uh, drink the maximum or something else? What What is it? Well, you just listed them, wine, women, and so on. No, his real priority for the South Nazis. Oh, that was to ensure the smooth integration of 307 battery into 100 regiment. He uh, also was well aware that he'd have to overcome considerable resentment and deploy considerable tact if the various sides were not to drift into deeply entrenched hostile positions. You call me tactful, Pete, don't you? I also call you deeply entrenched and hostile. (laughs) 
That's more accurate. Now, internally, um, the change from OP work to the guns meant they had to radically trim back the size of the officers' mess. Why? Well, because there's no room for any slack. And uh, and, and many officers had been coasting on nearing the end of their careers and they simply dispensed with because they weren't needed. Yeah, you of course, need they needed them. an officer per OP party, but now they don't because now that the, the guns are run by NCOs. Now, another point of pain in the officer's mess was the question of the continued adherence within 307 Battery to some of the um, time-honoured yeomanry traditions of the South Nazi Tsars, which was uh, largely perpetuated in their uniform and kit. Well, this is what Major Ian Cunningham, uh, 307 Battery, said. Colonel Roger Stars was going to make sure that we became part of his regiment. To that end, he wanted to make sure that all of the idiosyncrasies that the South Nazis had were done away with. There were quite a lot of idiosyncrasies. That's a difficult word to say, isn't it? Uh, that's why I got this one, is it? Uh, we didn't wear gunner pattern service dress. We wore service dress with the blouson pockets. I have no idea what that means, but I know that you like fashion. What's a blouson pocket? I think it just means puffed pocket. Oh, right, yeah. We we didn't wear the gunner cross belt. We wore Sam Brown. We didn't wear the gunner mess kit. We had our own mess kit. We didn't wear gunner blues. We had our own blues. And most contentious of all, we had a different cap badge. Roger Stars told me I'd got to conform to the gunner organisation. I pointed out that his other batteries didn't conform 100%. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that's right. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, he goes on. I had some support there from other batteries because if Styles had succeeded in forcing us into total gunner kit, then uh, the other batteries would have been forced down the same line. I fought various battles. It sounds incredibly trite to say that, that you're fighting battles about uniform, but we did. And to a large extent, your tribal history is what dictates your elan, your ethos, your own concept of yourself. I was acutely aware that a lot of things that were uniquely South Nazis were under threat. Yeah. See, you see, he's an interesting man, is Cunning. And the cat badge, we've mentioned before, they were very, very, very... Well, it wasn't a Royal Artillery cat badge, it was an acorn. It was the acorn, Acorn yeah. gunners. Now, by dint of negotiation, occasional sheer bloody-minded prevarication and the cunning endless postponement of various issues, they managed to escape with most of their unique symbols intact. Yet one thing acted as a red rag to a ball to Colonel Roger Stiles, and Major Ian Cunningham goes on to say... The cat badge! <laughs> he was absolutely adamant about it. He was insistent that the cat badges disappear. I managed to negotiate that when we were in blues or service dress, we, we would keep our red hats and own cat badge. But otherwise, we were going to have to conform and wear a gunner cat badge. I didn't think that, given the fact that we'd survived, that it was a ditch worth dying in. Given that it coincided with the introduction of the new steel helmet, which is okay to wear and whenever we were on exercise, uh, uh, we were starting to wear our steel helmets rather than our berets. It didn't seem that bad a sacrifice to have to make. So in other words, they didn't have to wear it anyway. So yeah. it, 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 he's right. It's not a ditch to die in. No, he is right. But nevertheless, the loss of the acorn cat badge was a body blow to the old and the bold of the oh, South yeah. Knotts' Would they complain or moan? No, they would observe. Right. <laughs> now, first joint camp of the 100 Regiment is in 1992. Uh, is that important? Yeah, it'd be crucial to the process of integration. Uh, they joined the rest of 100 Regiment at Lark Hill in September 1992. Now, um, 
every at every level the battery sounds not as ours has to get used to doing what it's told uh, when it's told um, now battery sergeant major ian aldershaw battery sergeant major do you remember when he was just a young gunner uh, anyway he, he'd extended his period as battery sergeant major he, he's mature enough to see that you have to accept changes without demure so to speak you, you can't keep objecting what does he say gary Regimental Sergeant Major Paul Reese would yell for the BSMs because he wanted them there and you had to be there. If he wanted something, he wanted it now. And if he hadn't got it, you got a hard time. Suddenly, where I was giving the officers a bollocking, giving everybody a bollocking, now I'm getting a bollocking. And about eight a day. Lines of reporting was something we had to understand very, very quickly and understand well. We couldn't just look after ourselves. It had to be a regiment's worth. When you're on guard, you're guarding a regimental camp. Now, <laughs> that sounds very sensible. However, the next quote is one of my favourite. I really like Ian Aldershaw. He's a great guy. Uh, he's got the grit and determination to, 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 to well... To, to do what he's told, but he's also got the grit and determination to try and prove that the South Knoxes ours were utterly superior in everything. Uh, and it doesn't matter what field end of endeavour they are going to come out on top. Uh, this includes drinking. <laughs> now, this doesn't shine too well, but there you go. What does he say? It was the first science mess dinner we'd had together. I got all my boys together and I said, right, in true style, the South Nutsazars will not leave the mess until everyone's gone. Tomorrow morning, whatever time it is, I will be there and you will all be there with me, won't you? It started at about 6.30. We had dinner and everybody split up to try and get this integration going. I remember looking at the crowd at about one o'clock and it was full, packed to the rafters. No one was going to go anywhere. They all wanted to be the last battery standing. Lots of beer flowing. Then, about four o'clock, there wasn't so many left. 60% had gone. I'd got about six or seven left, probably more of us than anyone else. When we got to five o'clock, it had got down to myself, Kevin Gill and one of our PSIs. Three of us left. I said, you're not going anywhere. They had the RSM, the PMC and a couple of others. It gets to 6.30. The RSM was absolutely out of his face. The PMC had got his arm around him. And bear in mind, this was a guy who was about six foot six. He had to help him to bed. They were the last two, except for us three. I said, well done, guys. I think we've proved a point. We came out of the mess hall, all our mess kit on with boots and spurs. And of course, everybody's going to breakfast. It was about a quarter to seven. I was shit faced. But that's true because I, I I remember I mean I remember once they weren't going to leave the mess I was a guest once they weren't going to leave till I'd gone it was the day that I liked to drink as well uh, but that I was no real opposition I was but I do remember one gentleman um, uh, one one historian uh, one of the more famous ones who when he was uh, thing he held the door open so he was the last out. And uh, as a result of that, and him pointing that out, the uh, the next day, one of the subbies had to sleep on, <laughs> sleep in the nest. 
They take these things seriously, Gary. They really they do. do. But on a more serious level, it was obvious that the new setup would be more challenging, requiring new skills from everyone. Not, yeah, well, not they're just OP drinking. O- they're not just they're, they were OP officers. A lot of the officers, um, and now they, they, instead of just coordinating just that little practice battery they'd had, they could practice on a whole the guns of a whole regiment that's a firepower they wouldn't have dreamed of would it they just wouldn't have dreamed of it and this is lieutenant jeremy higgins of 426 troop 307 battery where there were benefits for us is that we we had never operated as anything more than a battery so for the first time we were introduced to the concept of working in a multi-battery environment from an op's officer's perspective the difference is first of all you're potentially hearing a lot more op's on the radio at any one time and you're seeing different batteries engage with different things. So you're working in another dimension almost. Um, It was very one-dimensional with one battery. Now you've got three batteries, and you could fire three at a time, which adds a degree of complexity. Or you can fire one at a time with the three batteries fired by three different OPs. You can fire with different munitions at different places. So it adds a degree of complexity, and it's more challenging on the radio. Wow. Now, all in all, the first joint annual camp went well, and the future of the battery within the regiment seemed reasonably promising. Now, by this time, it's coming to the end of Ian Cunningham's allotted time uh, as battery commander, uh, and the officer's mess, remember, has been shrinking, and there doesn't seem to be anyone obvious to take over in the future. Now, well, what, what, so, but who decides this? Is it uh, the, the South Dutchess No, no, Colonel Stiles had already decided he wanted to insert an outsider to command 307 Battery. I wonder why. <laughs> and his eventual choice was Major David Arnold Foster, formerly the battery captain of 201 Battery, but a man with a distinguished record as a high-flying civil servant. Yeah, what's that? We, we can see through him, uh, can't we? What he wants is that his nominee will take over in June 1993 and he'll bring a sense of belonging and order to the, the new battery. Um, but is that what happened? No, what seems to have happened is the South Nazis have uh, seemed to engulfed Arnold Foster and simply made him one of their own. Arnold Foster was a real workaholic who, as a matter of course, threw everything into the task at hand. So, yeah. he, so he went native, basically. Uh, I think we'd find that uh, an unusual term to use these days, Gary. Good point. Well made and unnecessary. Absolutely. (laughs) Especially as people know I'm only saying it to try and put you off. Right. Uh, What's the big event? Uh, because they, they, what, 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 what's what's happening? What with these guns? What guns? It's the arrival of. It's the arrival of the FH seventy hundred and fifty five millimeter guns and their huge Foden gun. Towers. Not towers. <laughs> no, I wrote tow and then ers. Now, these were big guns, dwarfing both the light gun and the 25-pounder, and they required a root and branch reconstruction of the gun sheds, a new training block, and larger MT garages to be built on the backfield at Bullwell. Bullwell Barracks. Yeah, and it, 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 that's that's an investment, isn't it? So somebody's paying out money here. Uh, that's interesting. Um, now, uh, what is if you've got a new gun like this? What's it, what, 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 what do you need? Well, you need experience, and they were very lucky. They could draw on the experience of Sergeant Stevie Wake, and of course, uh, one of our favourites, uh, Smudge Smith. Yeah. Now, both of them had served extensively on the FH70 earlier on when they were regular soldiers. 
Uh, and uh, for a perspective of this, let's look at, and this is a chap you really should have done. You'll see why in the next uh, thing. It's a Lance Bombardier, Dave Young. What a character, an absolute joker, which is, reminds me of you. Anyway, he says this, Smudge, that's Smudge Smith, would get people and train them himself. He was very good at getting somebody that knew nothing and training them because he had a good team around him. You'd all gel and you'd all help and you all wanted to be the best. They used to put people on his gun. He'd train them and then they moved them on to another gun. They used him in that way and that's good for the battery. This is that, that, all this is praise for Smudge Smith. Now, they soon trained their young gunners to respond to the very real physical challenges this large, heavy gun posed. And this is gunner Warren James of 425 Troop 307 Battery. We were bloody animals at it. I loved it. Sometimes you really need to get angry to be able to do it. The shell weighed 96 pounds. The tray was nearly 110 pounds. And you'd have to lift that into position between the two of you. It's a lot of weight, just over 210 pounds. If you didn't get a bit of aggression on it, it wasn't going to go anywhere very fast. You had to lift it from about two foot all the way up to chest high. Then you had to ram the shell. There was a stave approximately six foot in height with a T-bar at the end of it, so two people could hold on to it. You placed the rubber bung on the base of the shell, you slide it up into position, and then you'd ram it home. It really did take a hell of a good thump to get it in which is why you had to be a bit of an animal. Uh, so this is all going on. But then there's a bit of a problem. Major David Arnold Foster, we never interviewed him. I, I, I can't remember why. I think he may have uh, not been alive. Uh, but his civilian employment, he, he was getting more and more senior in the civil service. His career doesn't seem to be very much like mine in the civil service. I just stayed the same grade all the way through. Well, it's like mine at TfL before I met you. Yes. <laughs> And uh, he had to end his period of command early. He stood down in September 1994, so barely a year, you know. Um, so so is there any young South Knotts? No, no, no. At that time, it's still the case that none of the uh, South Knotts' younger officers were ready to take over command. Once again, it's going to have to be an outsider. But this time, they brought, brought in a soon-to-be-retiring regular officer. Now, this is interesting, because uh, Ian Cunningham, how come I, I'm now captain? Yeah, you've been demoted. He's not been demoted. He's accepted a demotion so that he can stay with the battery. He's that kind of guy. You know, he just wants to I carry on. I was that kind of guy no, several you times. You, you, <laughs> he wasn't demoted for the reasons you were demoted. They bloody should have been sometimes, I think. But he, he's, he's carried on serving, but as a captain, he didn't mind at all. He says this. Major Vernon Reese was somebody who was a known character within the Royal Artillery. The phrase is, passed over Major. Thinking of Gordon Corrigan here, are you? Oh, did I say that out loud? He, he had at some stage blotted his copybook. He was a tremendously accomplished, dyed-in-the-wool gunner and a larger-than-life figure. He is a total encyclopedia on gunnery. What he doesn't know about gunnery isn't worth knowing and he's a bloody good teacher so he was able to take the battery to greater heights now uh give, what, tell me something about him well major vernon reese had been an officer since the early 1960s <laughs> and he was as he often pointed out older than his honorary colonel tim richmond well I remember tim richmond yeah <laughs> now reese believed that a successful officer required many of the characteristics of an actor and he had both the personality and experience to carry the role off to perfection. And it is a role. Uh, uh, this is what 2nd Lieutenant Richard King, 46 Troop 307 Battery, says. It was a real eye-opener. 
Here's this slightly old and crusty battery commander, but he had massive amounts of energy and enthusiasm, everything that a British Army officer should be. He certainly plays that role in the way he spoke, the way he carried himself, the way he dressed, passing himself as a real gentleman. That was the way he liked to be seen, but injecting so much life into the place by his personality. He was a good person to watch, to learn from, how to deal with people, how things should be done, doing things the right, the military way, and always having a sense of fun about everything he did. I learnt a lot from him about gunnery. For him, it was a science and an art form. There are certain parameters you can control, but once you understand the basics and the science behind it, then it becomes an art form, because then you can start doing things in a much cleverer way. You can start to predict what's going to happen. Watching him do that was very useful in helping me to understand Gunnery. He was a good mentor. Yeah, uh, um, you see, Werner Rees is a bit of a cartoon figure. There's no doubt about it. But there's a lot of good about Vernon as well. I mean, people will tell you all the sort of stories of the slightly wilder side of his character, but he's a good teacher, and that's important. Uh, now, uh, one one thing that Reese did like, and this is typical of Reese, is he discovers that the new colonel of the 100 Regiment, replacing Roger Stiles, was Lieutenant Colonel Ian Rayleigh. Um, now, why, why, why was he pleased? Well, Ian Rayleigh was in an unusual position for a senior officer in that he'd actually been disciplined for some minor offences when a young cadet at Sandhurst by Vernon Rees. He was now his subordinate. <laughs> now, overall, they got on pretty well. But one real point of conflict arose over the question of restoring the Lost South Knots Hussars cap badge. Now, perversely... Vernon Reese, the lifelong Royal Artillery officer, had gone native. <laughs> yes. I, actually, I don't think that... I mean, that expression, it just... People just adopt the culture around them, and that's what's happened. Uh, so what does Vernon Reese say? Well, I'm going to have to use a slightly silly voice for this. Uh, I changed my loyalty straight away. Uh, I am a South Notsazar, and I shall die a South Notsazar. We, the successors of a generation of South Notsazars, were being deprived of their cap badges. I chose to disregard that order. Ian Rayleigh said, not in front of me, you won't. <laughs> so be it. My officers wore yellow pips and our own cap badge when we were on battery exercises. When we were on regimental exercises, we wore army-issue combat kit and combat helmets. That was part of my technique of making the South not as ours feel special. They are special. To have, have it snuffed out by somebody because he wanted his whole regiment to look the same was ludicrous. Hmm. Now, Reese began to reshape the composition of the officer's mess. He deliberately got rid of several officers and senior NCOs whom he considered useless or wet or, conversely, dull buggers. Yes, that sounds like Vernon. What's his basic philosophy? Well, it was that uh, although social members were more than welcome in the mess, they were emphatically not welcome in the unit. I think that's, again, sensible. It's, you know, it's not a drinking club, uh, and that's what he's, you know. Uh, he also, uh, how does he try and strengthen the officer's mess? And this is <laughs> seems to be something else uh, that, uh, you know, that rather throws your army career into... Uh, 
highlight. Um, what does he do? Well, he encourages Warrant Officer Ian Oldershaw, who was acting at this time as a forward observation officer, to take a commission. Now, the young ne'er-do-well who'd been brought along by his brother in 1974 had indeed come a long way. Did you go a long way in the army? very long way several times backwards and forwards it was very very far hard on the feet now Major Vernon Reese was above all an acclaimed expert in gunnery and when carrying out any form of battery commander's fire plan exercise he had a very real advantage whether it was on computer simulation or the Invertron system or with real shells he had so much experience to fall back on that the others had very little chance he also knew most of the regular officers and sergeant major inspectors of artillery that really makes a difference why did he know them? well he taught half of them yes even when on the rare occasions he's caught out they were were unlikely to challenge him or he could soon bullshit his way out of trouble he's a real character Uh, although strangely he was not personally familiar with the FH-70 that is strange but it's a way his career. He used his contacts at the School of Artillery, that's at Lark Hill, to put himself through a day of intensive private training to learn the gun from scratch, from top to bottom. Reese was, in my view, and in everybody else's view, he was the ideal man to take the battery to a whole new level of gunnery. And I happened to be at the regimental dinner, the, the uh, Knightsbridge commemoration, when he was first introduced. And you just look at him and think, blimey, <laughs> he's a bit of a force of nature. In your view and everybody else's view. Yeah, everybody thinks that. Now, while the gun detachments learnt their drills, uh, the backup infrastructure that was needed was slotted into place around them. And this is Major Vernon Reese. Uh, temperamental beasts FH-70s they needed attention all the time like a fine-tuned racing car to make sure they worked they needed people looking after them I instituted a system of limber gunners civilians who would look after the guns service the oil levels do up the hydraulics do up the pneumatics every single day otherwise they would bloody well break down now, after an early experience at a firing camp where 307 Battery lamentably failed to put out its guns due to unexpectedly poor turnout of gunners, Reese was absolutely determined that this would never be allowed to happen again. And he goes on to say this. From thereafter, we were to take six guns. It was an instruction. I said, if you blokes wish to remain sergeants, then you turn up. A part of your duties on the Thursday of the Friday before camp is to ring round your detachment and say, Charlie, are you ready to come tomorrow? What, uh, what, why aren't you coming? Eventually you'll end up with people. We always managed six guns after that. Always. We were, all, we're always going out with all our guns. Even if there are only three blokes on the gun, we were going to take them all out, shit or bust. The result of that was that people began to pay rather more attention to the guns. That's what we were all about. Never mind the history of it. Well, the guns are our colours and all that. But we were in the business of firing 96-pound shells on top of Her Majesty's enemies. And if the gun doesn't work, the shell doesn't get there. And the shell is our weapon. Mm. Now, his men became more confident in their abilities and could demonstrate them to anyone watching or competing. After all their hard graft in the field, it would be time for the popular battery parties at the Busted Pub on Salisbury Plain. Now, here, the whole battery would let their hair down, at least to some extent. You can't do that, Pete, can you? No, I can't. Uh, And uh, once more, you're working very hard today. This is Major Vernon Reese. 
It's a moment for relaxation, but not a moment for excessive familiarity. That's why I was always very glad. I, I always had Tims there who would say, Right, sir, I think it's time we fucked off. <laughs> they would be roaring drunk, but very, very rarely out of control. Occasionally, I would hear the sound, the noise of Smith's fists smashing into the side of somebody's head. Very rarely did it become unpleasant. <laughs> And it never became unpleasant in front of me. Uh, it was not an officer's job to break up scrapping, soldiers. You send the likes of Smithy in. It's getting out of hand in there, Sergeant Smith. Right. In he goes and you hear... It seems very quiet now, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sergeant Smith. But he only thumped people when they deserved it, and I made sure I didn't see it. And with, on that note, and I think that's two great characters, great, great characters, uh, that we're, uh, we're going to move on for a period of reflection at such wonderful people. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The end of the Cold War with the dissolution of the Soviet Union in the late 1980s had left the army in a state of flux. 
The long years of threat from the Soviet Union had in a sense defined the role of the army for both the regular and TA soldiers. Some considered that the new world order and the de facto situation of a US hegemony meant that they were now all but redundant, but wiser voices urged caution pointing to an uncertain future. Yeah, and the new peacekeeping role (laughs) of the British Army was well illustrated when in September of 1996, several members of 307 Battery were seconded for service with the regular army in both Cyprus and Bosnia. Uh, This represents... What's that represent? Tell me. You tell me. You tell me. You tell me. Well, it's, it's the beginning of a huge change in policy and the purpose and possible deployment of the TA. Yet few noticed the deep significance of the change significance of the changes at the time so so they're not going on mass as it were no, they're going as individuals yeah possibly in for few of them but they're going as individuals um uh, it's also that a lot of their entrenched attitudes are going to have to change they've got there's a lot of acclimatization going on in the british army uh, what happens if you stand out and refuse to uh, acclimatize yeah you, you'll get closed down you get declimatized <laughs> declimatized now, there was still a serious threat to the future of the South Nazis themselves. Joining the ranks of 100 Regiment had not guaranteed their survival in the next round of defence cuts. There, is there always there's a- always a next <laughs> round of defence cuts. Here, there's no doubt that the combination of the natural resilience of the unit and the many contacts of Vern and Reese were a formidable combination. Yep, the new Colonel of 100 Regiment, another new Colonel comes along, and it's Colonel James Partridge. Who'd be, who taught him? Race. Yeah. Uh, and he'd also served as a captain alongside the new director of Royal Artillery. <laughs> I mean, that sort of kind of link, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it gives him an advantage that he didn't fail to exploit whenever the chance arose, with the result that the South Nazis did not get amalgamated or disbanded. Now, there's another revolution, uh, another thing that has to be acclimatised to, taking place within the actual ranks of the battery. What might that be, Gary? Well, there are more and more women soldiers enlisting and serving with ever-increasing success. Now, the best example of this was undoubtedly the rise and rise of Sam Jordan, who had first joined the battery in 1994. I've interviewed Sam Jordan, and when she joined, she wasn't when I interviewed, she was, but when she joined, she was quite fairly timid. Uh, you, you know, uh, but uh, I think it's contrariness. Guess who, Lieutenant, by then, it's not second Lieutenant anymore, Richard King, guess whose who's gun detachment she uh, she was put in? Uh, Smudge Smith's. <laughs> sink or swim? Mm. Swim or sink. Now, there's, there's some misogynistic and sexist language in this next quote, uh, but uh, this is Sergeant Smudge Smith of 425 Troop. Are you, are you saying it reflects his character? <laughs> Mr. King called us over. Number ones, right, you've got to recruit each. We knew there was the first gun number that was there. I said to the lads, oh, I bet I get the bitch. He called me over. Right, Sergeant Smith, this is Gunner Jordan. She's going on your gun. I thought, oh, fucking hell. I knew I was going to get you. Come on. She trotted off behind. We got halfway and I said, look, nothing wrong with you, but I fucking hate women on the guns. I hate women anywhere near the guns. She just looked at me with sad eyes. We're going to teach you. She didn't say a word. I mean, that's an intimidating uh, welcome, isn't it? Deeply unpleasant. Yeah, I mean, but that smudge, he he isn't an unpleasant bloke, but he can appear to be, definitely. But Jordan, Uh, she had a bit of inner steel. It's nice to reflect that. And it was soon apparent that uh, smudge was not quite the ogre he appeared on the surface. And this is 
uh, recruit Sam Jordan of 307 Battery. He just looked at me and said, I don't like women on my gun. I stood there and I thought to myself, great, this is just what I wanted. I'm going to be in it, in for it this weekend. I just got on with it. I was really shy. I just nod my head or answer what my name was. I did what I was told and when I saw, uh, when he saw I could lift the shells, I could to an extent do what the lads could do, I could just muck in. After the firing weekend, he said, you've done well, you can come on my gun. Yeah, because at this stage, she's still quite shy, but she's a hard worker. And she's bright, intelligent girl, a woman, sorry. <laughs> Above all, she's keen, keen to learn. Uh, and uh, it impresses Smith, he, he, despite himself. I think you have to say, despite himself, he's impressed. And he, he, did, he res- perversely with Smith, he resolves to teach her everything he knew. Um, and uh, when his usual gun layer couldn't attend camp, he, he, he decided to train Sam Jordan up for that role as gun layer. Uh, and, and when it came to the competition shoot, she was brilliant. She just couldn't miss. Yeah, she fired six shells and scored six hits on tanks acting as targets. And this is what, by now, gunner Sam Jordan, a 425 Troop 307 battery, says. We hit every target. It was brilliant. So I got the nickname of Six Shot Sam. And we, Six, Six Shot Sam. And we won Best Regimental Gun that year. Stevie Waite came second. It was fantastic. We went down Weymouth and they got the T-shirt made up with Six Shot Sam on. And I had to wear it. It was wicked. All the rest of the battery were cheering behind. Uh, and I think last time we had talk about the competition between Wake and Smithies. He always cheats. <laughs> um, over the next few years, uh, her gunnery skills become exceptionally good and, and, uh, and she gains in self-confidence and all scepticism over, over her being in there were dispelled. Uh, did, do you think that applies to all NCOs? No, some of the uh, crusty old ones still felt that it was not a woman's natural role on the guns. Mm, they're wrong. Uh, I mean, when they prove themselves able to do it, they, they're able to do it. Now, meanwhile, Vernon Reese, what's he doing? He's, he's intent on rewarding those NCOs who'd served him well. Uh, and he promotes Smudge Smith to Staff Sergeant in 1997. Uh, and in the, uh, what happens in the knock-on changes? Well, Sam Jordan was promoted to take uh, his place commanding his old gun detachment. So she'd become probably a, a sergeant. It might have been a bombardier first. And, and she is an incredibly distinguished gunner in the, in the South Nazar. Now, Reese reaches the end of his period of command on the 31st of March, 1998. By this time, one of the young officers is ready. Who's that? Well, Major Jeremy Higgins was the obvious choice to take over. Uh, Higgins was cast in the same mould as James Gunn and Tim Richmond in that he intended to deploy all the expertise he'd gained in his civilian business management career to guide his period in command. Now, he's interesting because you've met him. Uh, you might even have known him in a professional capacity because he was, he was very high up in Virgin, uh, Virgin Rail. Oh, uh, uh, and uh, that he was in, that's his business, uh, and uh, he, he he was second in command or something. He was that high, to, uh, uh, and like yourself, he was. Uh, uh, but and then like me, once he met you, it all went downhill. It's it true as well. Uh, but the other thing about him is he's different, isn't it? He's he's different. He, he as you said, he's like Gunn and Richmond. He's not like Reed, Vernon Reese at all. They're chalk and cheese. But I think this is interesting. There's always more than one way to skin a cat. 
talking of which, you've got a cat. <laughs> but there is more than one thing to do something. There's not one right way often or one wrong way. And he's going to use civilian business management techniques, as you said. And this is what he says. I didn't want to start on the 1st of April from day one. So I got together a small team of Bob Privet, that's the admin officer, Ian Aldershaw, that's the newly promoted officer by XBSM, Trevor Purse, can't remember who he is, and myself. And we spent successive Saturdays sitting down trying to come up with a structure and process. Not really like Vernon Reese, is it? I felt they were the areas that were lacking. The army is very good for having an aim, and one of the principles of war is the maintenance of the aim. But I didn't believe we had an aim. <laughs> good old Jeremy. Uh, what what were they to do? What were we trying to what were we trying to achieve? What were our objectives? What were our targets? That's what you shoot at, Jeremy. Uh, how would we know when we'd met them? So there was a little bit of management babble. It's nice to see the self-awareness, in a way. But we had to have something to aim for. We had to have some review processes that said, are we achieving this? And this is a world of difference, isn't it? Yeah. Now, when he took over, he tried to impress on the battery right from the start that things were going to be very different under his command. This was not a criticism of the way Vernon Reese had done things. It was just recognition that they were different with different sets of skills. And once more, you're going to tell us what Major Jeremy Higgins says. I wanted to have a State of the Union type speech to get the whole battery together and say, right, it's changed now. This isn't the Vernon age. It's my age. This is how we're going to do business. And if you don't like it, there's the door. I felt we need... Uh, we need needed we need i felt we need some of that to galvanize people because some people had to go we had to refocus our performance not in the field we could pull that off but i didn't think it was sustainable with all the other stuff that we should have been doing and weren't doing particularly well Hmm. now there's one thing i i can tell somebody who's not going to be happy who, who can i who am i thinking of well i should imagine smudge smith by this time, he's a troop sergeant major. Uh, he's generally unhappy with the whole new administration. Uh, what he's he's getting more and more exposed by the whole changing name of the British, ch- changing ethos of the British Army. And you went through this. This is the ethos. You can't punch people anymore. Uh, you, you just can't. Now, and- even people who admired him were starting to notice this. And this is going to Warren James of four two five troop. He could be quite intimidating. As the army way of doing things progressed and the old-fashioned way of doing things, which was that if you did it wrong, you got a smack in the bollocks with a paste stick, wasn't going to happen anymore. The army moved past him, in a sense. Yeah, Smith began to make noises about leaving. You know, uh, not so much threats, perhaps. Just No, it's just a general expression of how unhappy he was, really. Now, at the same time, he was accused of having thumped a recruit although he himself insisted that he'd only shook him for turning up in rag order. It was one confrontation too many, and Smudge Smith ultimately resigned, and Jeremy Higgins decided to accept his departure. And I I think this is sad. And I think, by the way, Jeremy thought it was sad as well. But Jeremy said this. Smith was exceptionally good at gunnery, but he was also a bit of a bully. He was very physical, very old school uh, soldier. He would think nothing of punching somebody. He would grab people by the testicles just as a normal greeting. And that hurt. (laughs) He was a thug. (laughs) For many people, though, it worked. He built a relationship with these people. 
and they were hugely loyal to him. It wasn't bullying because if they didn't like it, they wouldn't come in. But the people changed and the risk is that somebody doesn't like it. And I think the army had moved on a little bit from his day. I don't think we missed him as it turned out. I was, I was a bit concerned because he was so good in the field. There might be some void, but there wasn't a void. People very rapidly grew in his place. Uh, some people did miss him, I can tell you, because they said. But uh, Higgins has set the tone. He's setting a new tone, isn't he? Yeah, and such problems fade into insignificance when compared to uh, a sword of Damocles dangling above Jeremy Higgins, the South Suzars, and indeed the whole of 100 Regiment. What's that? Well, once more, there's a strategic defence review to consider. I, I expect they're plotting to make the army more efficient, to expand bigger. it. Bigger. <laughs> better. Is that, is that oh, what? Oh, of course. And this is Major Jeremy Higgins' view. In the back of my mind at this time, I was concerned there would be an up-and-coming defence review and that units that didn't deliver would be under severe threat. I could see the day that we would no longer exist unless we got this right, where we had been, where we had been able to bluff the system in the past with increasing technical, technological advances. I felt we'd be less able to bluff the system in future. The Strategic Defence Review motivated and, and energised me to really prove our professionalism, our value and strength of ties into the local community. This was the call to arms for me and my team to make sure that we were still there at the end. So it's not just about gunnery, it's also about the community, about that. this is what he's on about, having a bigger picture. And also it's not about who you know anymore with the, the advancing technology. Now, he issued a statement to the battery warning them that once again they were in severe danger. Anything could happen. Primarily, we must survive. Hopefully as gunners and hopefully with our guns and our bands and our home in Bulwell Barracks intact. This decision is for the generals and politicians. My job is to ensure that we're in the best possible position to carry out the tasks ordered, whatever they may be. Wow. Now, this time, the South Nazis were also bolstered by the wholehearted support of Colonel James Partridge. Ah, hang on. That's a change. Mm. Now, this was undoubtedly genuine, although some cynics might speculate that given their track record and influence, it was perfectly feasible... Cynical, Gary. ...that the South Nazis might survive and the 100 Regiment go under. In other words, they had more influence than the regiment. Well, I'm not sure that's true or not, but it, it's interesting. What happens? What, 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 what does the review say? Uh, well, when the results are announced, it seemed that a, a seven-battery regiment was to be formed and then split in two. So the new 100 Yeomanry Regiment would consist of 201 Battery at Luton, 266 Battery at Bristol, the regimental headquarters also at Luton. I know someone who's born in Luton. So do I. And, of course, the 307 Battery at Bullwell, Nottingham. They've survived! Yes. The, now, the, the South Otisars survive again. The 106 Air Defence Regiment was formed from 265 Battery, which was formerly the Headquarters Battery of 100 Regiment, 202 Battery, formerly with 100 Regiment, 269 Battery and 457 Battery. Now, there's also news about the FH-70. Now, the FH-70 was a thing lo much loved by gunners like uh, Smudge Smith. Uh, what's happening? For well, it's going to be entirely withdrawn from service right across the British Army, and they were to revert to the light gun, and their gunners were also to be trained on the AS-90 self-propelled gun. Why? 
uh, in which capacity, let me finish, individual gunners would be sent as required to their linked regular unit, which was the first RHA. So this is the individual thing. So they have to learn that the, that, that the uh, first RHA has got the AS-90. So we have to be trained, the South Nautilus has to be trained in, in, in that. I've gone native. <laughs> you have. And once more, you're going to be, it's because you've been Jeremy Higgins so much, you're going to be Major Jeremy Higgins. Our role had become split. It was primarily to train and become competent on the 105mm air portable light gun, but also to train people in the, the people on the AS-90, which is the big tracked beast that is now the standard self-propelled 155mm gun of the army. It was the most modern bit of army artillery there was, and manned by 1st RHA. The FH-70 was a popular piece of kit, but there were obvious drawbacks to the gun, and although many regretted their departure, others could see the bright side. And this is now Captain Richard King of 426 Troop. For me, it was an extremely positive thing. When we originally went from light gun to FH-70, it was, oh, great, bigger guns, bigger bangs. But we hadn't appreciated the implications of this. It meant that our establishment increased, which meant we had to recruit more, and we would struggle to recruit the manpower. The gun is much more complicated. It has hydraulics. It has uh, an engine on it. Maintenance effort is significantly higher and generally much more work and prone to breakdown. Great when everything's working fine, big bangs, but when it's not working fine, it was hard work. Whereas the light gun is an extremely robust, TA-friendly piece of equipment, and we were able to do so much with it that we couldn't do with the FH-70. We didn't need the manpower, the people with HGV licenses, the ammunition isn't such a logistical nightmare. It's just generally a better gun, and you can do things like sling it on helicopters. A real thumbs up as a piece of kit for the TA. Now, so uh, the, the Army likes to do things properly, and uh, on January 1999, there's a final firing of, of all the FH-70s at Lark Hill, uh, all the FH-70s of the whole uh 100 regiment which is 18 guns three batteries six guns and they're all lined up and they fire together what a sight that must have been gary lots of big bangs there for you yeah and as the millennium approached it was apparent that the ta had finally changed as indeed it had been threatening to do over the last 10 years into a huge pool of reserves from which individuals should be drawn as and when required by the regular army this was now accepted as the defining nature of the unit. So it's not under, it's not bubbling under now, it's on the surface. And Major Jeremy Higgins says this, I had no problem with the reinforcement role. Anyone that would have a problem with it would, would be caught up in the personal hype of the power that their status gave them. It's my trade, sir. I'm the battery commander and I want to lead my battery into battle, which is the way that the TA thought at the outbreak of the Second World War. Rather than my philosophy, which is, I'm here to to do a job and that job is to provide a resource to the army to call upon in whatever way they want to. I recognised that I wasn't ever going to fight with my battery in wartime. Pragmatic, sensible. Now, July 1999, the new 100 and 106 regiments joined together to go overseas to Arlon in Belgium for their annual camp and exercises. By this time, 100 Regiment was under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Peter Tomlinson. Now, this is the first visit by the South Nazis as an entire entity to Europe since uh, since when? 
at Second World War. Yeah, because they'd all only ever sent out OP parties before. Uh, Arlon Camp, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, there's a variety of people remembering it. There was one very amusing incident, which I daren't go into. But also, for, for Gunner Alistair Burns, uh, it's an experience of undergoing, an, uh, well, he, he, they, they, he was put on a carder course, a carder course for junior NCOs. Now, it was pretty bloody tough, uh, and it was to get him promoted to Lance Bombardier. What does Gunner Alistair Burns, 426 Troop 307 Battery, say? We went on to survival training. This is worm omelette. This is snails. I tried a bit of snail. It was just boiled, no flavouring, no nothing. You feel the suckers sticking to your teeth, and it was the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. Later on, I was lying on the ground and there was a snail crawling across in front of me. And I remember saying to myself, I don't care what they do to me. I'm not eating that snail. Now, coincidentally, uh, I refused similarly to eat uh, ants and worms uh, on survival training. And somebody I remember said to me, oh, but you'd eat if you were starving. And I pointed out to him that I'd had breakfast that morning. You were always... A slim lad. Contrary. Contrary now, and all slim. in all, the camp was excess. But what else lay ahead for the South Knots' arse? That wasn't very dramatic. What else lay ahead for the South Knots' arse? What else lay ahead for the South Knots' arse? We'll find out soon, Gary, in the next episode of the South Knots' arse. Podcast filler. <laughs> South Knots' arse in peacetime. Or podcast filler. It's not a filler, Gary. It's really serious. Cheers, Pete. Cheers, Gary. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or... Visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?